Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. But are you currently traveling the world like last time? Are you in a stable location? No, I reached my destination. Yesterday was uh, the, a purgative trip from Indianapolis to Pittsburgh with five kids, five and a half kids in tow, but we made it, so um, French fries are copious and available now. Uh, wonderful. Well, also available that we need to make sure, I, even though I look outside here in Des Moines, looking out the window of Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios, and I see blustery winter weather still this late in April, April 18th. Uh, we do have hope because uh, the Cardinals beat the Cubs, and that was with Adam Wainwright, who I think throws 40 miles an hour an hour. So that was pretty good, right? No, you and I have a mutual friend who is uh, uh, not a big fan of Mike Matheny, the manager of the Cardinals. It was kind of fun watching him on social media last night because as the game tightened in the eighth inning, he was so so anxious about a collapse, but the Cardinals held on, so that was that was wonderful. So we need to at least milk this one because I should point out to the Cubs fans, I'm not sure that we're going to keep it up. So we're no. going to really make this one count. Uh, <laughs> uh, like always, coming to you, like I said, Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studio here in Iowa. Bud is out in Pittsburgh. Uh, we play all over the world if you're listening to us on iowacatholicradio.com. Uh, we have our podcast, but Bud, the big news is uh, I think we've told listeners that we've been playing on two Tulsa stations. Tulsa and Broken Arrow, uh, but uh, if everything works out this weekend, we'll be also be playing uh, eight more stations in Oklahoma City, so uh, the the reach for this show will also include Oklahoma as well, so uh, thank you for the listeners who've asked, and uh, we, we've tried to make things work out, and someday, bud, we can even be playing uh, across the world. No, I feel, ama- yeah, I feel amazingly blessed, you know, Iowa and Oklahoma, two of my favorite states in the Union. And it's just cool to hear that um, there's that there's that desire out there to learn more about the faith and that God is using us to be, you know, just instruments, very flawed instruments in that, that mission. Very flawed, cheap, Walmart-esque instruments <laughs> that God might use. I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, Bud, you get working on Pittsburgh and maybe Nebraska, and then, uh, you know, we can have our empire. We can start marketing Jeb and Deacon Tony uh, t-shirts, which I think uh, really the the whole middle part of the state's waiting for those two to have a t-shirt. Uh, of course, our wonderful sound engineers. Um, I'm getting excited for Christmas just thinking about the possibility of Deacon Tony and Jeb merchandise. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, not only amazing sound guys, but um, they can really thrash a mean air guitar. I'm That's trying true. to think what else. Yeah, Beautiful men. I mean, just you look at them and you think like Greek, Grecian statues. I mean, the point being is that you and I should not be on t-shirts, and they should. Well, maybe that's the maybe that's the idea. It could be like you know the thinker statue, and then the statue of David. But it's like it's got like um, clothes on. Deacon yes. Tony's face, or yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good or, point. or fig leaves, something. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm I'm glad this is the first opening show that maybe some people for the first time ever are listening to. They're really getting a good clue about what it's like, so that's good. As, as always, brought to you, underwritten uh, by Cartridge World. Uh, Cartridge World, uh, 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights. Uh, Joe over at Cartridge World, a wonderful friend uh, that helps our show, uh, the locomotive that is our show, keep on going down the track, bud. Uh, what, what do we have? Uh, we have NBA playoffs, I guess. Uh, what The Cubs put up their W every time they win because used to. That was cheap because it happened so infrequently. Uh, what should we print out with Cartridge World cartridges now that the Cardinals have won once? You know, I think about this. You know, like We got past Valentine's Day and the NCAA brackets, which were heavy printing seasons. Um, you know, this kind of reminds me of ordinary time in the church where it's, it's called ordinary time and you can get the mistaken assumption like, oh, this period's not as important. But right. like in, in seasons like this, it's great to remember that Cartridge World, this industry leader is out there. You know, they have this like certain steadiness and constancy in what they provide. So. Uh, great folks over there. Another thing about constancy, like always, we are underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu. Uh, we just opened a new building, bud. Uh, you were there in spirit. Uh, we had a bishop come and uh, bless the place. Uh, we got all sorts of new offices. Uh, they don't let me over there because, you know, that's, you know, they, they have me down in the basement in the old building. Uh, but we have a new building to roll out summer classes. You can still enroll in summer if you would like. Uh, and, you know, even though we have a new building, you don't have to be physically there. There's no wait list. We have RN to BSN, healthcare administration, health information management, all online, and accelerated BSN, which is a 12 month program for students who have previous BA experience. But if you want to move up to Des Moines and check out the new building, the Academic Center for Excellence, it's quite a uh, quite a sight to see. And uh, Bud, when you were in town last year, at least we got to show you around and show you the new digs. Yeah, it was cool to see the new building. And you know, uh, as human beings with landmarks like that, to me, it was a testament of uh, you know Mercy College uh, with its humble beginnings, what it's become, and also just uh, it's pretty cool to think about the future. You have this nice, crisp new building, and we can get caught up in buildings sometimes, you know, like this comes up in the Gospels when the the disciples are amazed at the temple and Jesus says, like, well, keep your eye on something different. But the great thing about a place like Mercy is, like, the infrastructure is all there to support the mission, and that's training compassionate healthcare professionals. So it's pretty cool to see all that. Yeah, you think about this sort of, like, heroes and witnesses we've had in our midst. So, like, Sister Zita Brennan, she has a... a part of the build, uh, building named after her on the other part of campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just think about her humble beginnings, like you said, uh, in Ireland, and uh, now to think that a uh, place that she worked uh, and, and cared about a lot has, has a building like that, uh, you know, all sorts of new features so that people can become uh, the nurses and allied health administrators uh, of the future to help heal people. So on the show today, speaking of that, we have Dr. Alan Moy. Uh, he is the founder and scientific director of the John Paul II Medical Research Institute. So we're going to have inf- interesting talks with him. That's going to be next. So if you want to stick around with the Uncommon Good, we'll be back right after this. But as always, we like to talk about the uh, the Zip Whip line. So if you want to talk to us during the show, 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150. I'm looking here, and there's a text that started off, I love your show. So I was thinking it was us, bud, because I'm arrogant. But it's actually for John Leonetti. But I th- the number looks familiar. Like, maybe that might be a Leonetti relative. I'm just it, it, it was speculating. Me. It was you. You... <laughs> 
Well, that's very sweet and kind of you, Bo. Uh, but so, if you want to send other sweet, uh, you know, remarks to our show, or you want to criticize us, or if you want to say why aren't is, aren't you John Leonetti again? Five one five two two three eleven fifty. The Zip Whip Line. Always open, always ready, always fast, always snappy. So. We'll be back after these messages. The Uncommon Good. Stick around. Thank you, Construction Professionals, for your support of Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Construction Professionals is a family-owned business dedicated to our customers. Whether designing, building, or renovating, we are here to better serve you. St. Vincent de Paul's assists those living in poverty to become self-sufficient. Learn more at svdpsm.org or call 515-282-8327. This message brought to you by Homemakers Furniture. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com. Hey friends, John Lee Nettie here and I want to thank R&R Realty Group for underwriting my show and for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. R&R Realty Group is locally owned by a Catholic family. Built on trust, exceptional customer service. rrrealty.com, that's rrrealty.com. There are millions of children that go hungry every day. Thank you to Skeffington's Formalware for supporting Mary's Meals. Their vision is that every child in the world should be able to receive at least one good meal every day in a place of education. Mary'sMealsUSA.org Last year, 150, or 150 students, gained essential employment skills and graduated from computer classes through Catholic Charities Hispanic Community Outreach. With your help, we are making a difference, but the need continues. Learn more at CatholicCharitiesDM.org. Back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr, coming to you on this winter-spring day. If any of you are uh, like C.S. Lewis fans and you have befriended the White Witch, you need to stop. Because Turkish delights are not worth it. any rate, Bud, uh, to brighten up and warm our day, uh, let's go ahead and talk to Dr. Alan Moy. Dr. Alan Moy, founder and scientific director of John Paul II Medical Research Institute. Uh, this is in Iowa, so uh, it's uh, wonderful to have someone not only talking about this important issue, but to have someone uh, from the home state uh, coming on the show and talking about this. Dr. Moy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, so one of the things that starts to be interesting uh, when we go looking out for guests is, uh, you know, people think about the common good, and I'm sure there's sort of two ideas about it. Either we're going to talk about uh, politics in the sort of uh, easy, shallow way, political parties, things like this, or maybe the, someone knows uh, Rerum Navarum and thinks we're going to have, you know, a year's worth of show on, uh, on Rerum Navarum. What we try to do is show how even something that maybe you don't immediately think of, like biomedical concerns, uh, show that it has a, a larger social component and the role it plays in the common good. And so it was wonderful uh, to get in touch with you so we can hear someone, so to speak, on the front lines of these issues. So before we start, though, getting in that deeper issue, would you mind telling people what it is that uh, you do and what your organization does? Sure. So... Um I'm the founder of 
and scientific director of the John Paul II Medical Research Institute, which was founded uh, in 2006 here in Iowa City. And probably there's still a lot of Iowans who have uh, have actually never heard of uh, our institute. The the JP2 is a, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to advance adult stem cell research and uh, or use adult stem cell research as therapies or as tools for um, our therapeutic priorities. And those therapeutic priorities have focused on areas where uh, the biotechnology industry uh, either one or two problems exist. Either they're underperforming, under unmet need, medical needs, or there are secular biotechnology ethical issues that conflict with uh, Catholic uh, moral teaching. So our our therapeutic needs, uh, our therapeutic priorities, are focused on uh, chronic neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, spinal cord injury, ALS, etc., um, and cancer. Um, third is rare diseases. Uh, these are diseases where um, less than 200,000 people in the United States are afflicted with those conditions. And lastly, chronic diseases, which can be common, where the, uh, the, the biomedical research community, including the pharmaceutical industry, are underperforming in these areas, such as a number of chronic lung diseases. Dr. Moy, this is Bud Marr. Uh, thanks for being on. Uh, when we get into some of these discussions about research, I know that in the reading that I've done, a distinction is drawn between utilizing um, um, fetal stem cells or embryo stem cells from embryos and adult stem cells. Could you talk some for our listeners about um, the distinction there? Sure. And this is the frequently asked question uh, that we get: is what is a stem cell, and what uh, what are the different types, and how is uh, among Catholics, which are which stem cells are considered in line with Catholic teaching. So, um, essentially, adult stem cells are, or a stem cell, let me back up, a stem cell is a cell that has two basic properties. One is that it has the ability to self-replicate, that is, make uh, daughter cells copies of itself, and the other property is that it has the ability to differentiate or to convert into a more specialized type of tissue, like heart tissue, brain tissue, or whatever. So an adult stem cell is derived from a, is a stem cell that is derived at the moment of birth to adulthood. So these are cells, stem cells that are, can come from um, the tissues of newborns, such as cord blood, cord blood tissue, um, placenta, or it can come from um, the bone marrow of an adult or fat tissue. So there are very, a variety of different adult stem cells that um, uh, uh, sources that, that can produce adult stem cell. And there's also, uh, these are more natural types of stem cells. Uh, then there are more genetically modified or engineered types of adult stem cells called the induced pluripotent stem cell, and I can talk about that later. But these are stem cells that, um, where a man genetically modifies that adult 
uh, cell into what's called a iPS cell. And this iPS cell is uh, like an embryonic-like stem cell. It can do all the things like an embryonic stem cell. Now, in contrast, uh, <clears throat> an embryonic stem cell is derived from an early-stage one-week embryo. So there are uh, some of these early cells in a, a human embryo that produce all the ultimate tissues of a full uh uh, developed fetus. And in order to extract those and grow those types of stem cells, one has to destroy a human embryo to develop that cell line. A fetal stem cell uh, would be another stem cell, but it would be derived from a more mature fetus, such as in the first or second trimester. So from a Catholic perspective, where the line is drawn from how the Catholic Church views stem cells is obviously from a life issue. So any stem cell that is derived from the moment of birth and onward, adult stem cell, is considered ethical by the Catholic Church teaching. And stem cells that are derived from aborted fetal tissue or from an embryo is considered inconsistent with the moral teaching of the Catholic Church because uh, uh, because the Catholic Church defines that all life is sacred from the moment of conception. So, Dr. Moy, one of the things that I immediately think of um, hearing that wonderful breakdown of, of how we understand the different cells and uh, the sort of uh, moral implications between using um, certain times versus others... Uh, I, you know, you, you, you get into conversations with people and the idea is that the church is against science uh, or doesn't care about these things um, or, you know, should be cardened off to its own private sort of enterprise and let science do its thing. Um, I will now play uh, this first part of the show where I'm like, for 10 minutes, we talked about cells on our Catholic radio show, so it can't be the case that Catholics don't care about science. I actually think it's even a bigger deal, though, and I've, I've got, I found this with arguing with people with all sorts of bioethical issues. Um, people don't know the difference between uh, some of these more difficult, specific distinctions we need to make in bioethics. Uh, do you find that's one of the initial issues to overcome for people to take something like adult stem cell research seriously is either... Uh, they think they know about the bioethics, or they think they know the church's stance towards bioethics? Um, that's a great question. So I think there are a couple of ethical issues that place uh, Catholic, the Catholic Church in a corner, and one of which is that there's a lack of awareness and education among Catholics and pro-life about what is a stem cell. It's a complicated science. It's a complicated issue. It's not like abortion, which is, you know, very understandable and clear to the average layperson. Um, there are a number of, of uh, cell lines that are used in the pharmaceutical industry from decades of secular biotechnology that utilize embryonic stem cells and aborted fetal tissue in the variety of pharmaceutical medicinal uh, processes and products is that conflict with the Catholic, uh, uh, the, the, the Catholic moral uh, doctrines. The second issue has to do with, um, I think, where 
Catholic Church has uh, had to play on the defensive when, and, and be reactionary when you're dealing with sick patients. You know, when patients are sick and they're dying, they have chronic life-threatening disease or terminal diseases, um, it is a natural human response for people to say, I'm looking for a cure. And <clears throat> what the secularists have offered uh, to society and those patients is, you know, we can achieve that cure by offering you these uh, types of therapies uh, that utilize an embryonic stem cell or abortive field tissue. Uh, but the Catholic Church is uh, being portrayed as, well, you're just not interested in uh, helping to cure uh, sick people. And we have historically um, not put enough emphasis on over decades within the Catholic community of providing real alternatives that are pro-life. And so it's hard to uh, respond to those patients and groups that are looking for cures, and all the Catholic Church has been able to do is react and, and be defensive and say, well, this is immoral. Well, that's a great point, Dr. Moyne. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but in looking at some of the literature, it sounds like uh, like some breakthroughs have been made utilizing adult stem cells, which are, of course, like an ethical option uh, from a Catholic perspective. Um, but it does seem to me like we have to be careful about how we communicate or talk about that because we also, I, I would say, don't want to fall into the trap of like, um, the question is not for Catholics ultimately, like what is most effective, you, you see. Uh, and so just like we, we can talk about the breakthroughs using adult stem cells, which is delightful, but I mean, as I understand it, we're like intrinsically opposed to using embryonic stem cells. Yeah, I think we have to be very careful about uh, overhyping and under-delivering. Yeah. Um, when we are communicating what are the... Um, potential cures and historical uh, successes of adult stem cells. On the flip side, we also have to be careful as Catholics, and we have to be careful about um, trying to undermine the, the, uh, the secular's argument that, well, uh, embryonic stem cells haven't cured anybody, therefore why should we not, why do we have to worry about this when adult stem cells have achieved so much? And I think it's premature, and the jury's out regarding uh, where the uh, where the future forecasts of uh, uh, embryonic stem cells will um, to be achieved. So just to put put things in historical perspective, and where this um, where this you know debate has you know uh, evolved is that. People, when they talk about adult stem cells and their successes, they're really focusing on the uh, the, the successes of uh, bone marrow transplantation. So bone marrow transplantation is really, uh, which many of us know what that is, or we know people who've had a bone marrow transplant, is that these are stem cells that are populated in the bone marrow that are given to patients uh, who have perhaps uh, some advanced uh, refractory form of uh, bone marrow uh, cancer, like leukemia or lymphoma. 
and they are they're giving chemotherapy to wipe up the bone marrow, and they're giving this bone marrow transplant from a normal donor to basically repopulate their bone marrow after receiving uh, uh, chemotherapy. And so a lot of the talk about um, the success of the bone marrow transplant, uh, excuse me, of adult stem cell, have focused on that uh, on bone marrow transplantation. It's important to know that bone marrow transplantation in the disorders that it treats represents a very, very small fraction of human disease. Um, bone marrow stem cells cannot become heart, they cannot become liver, they cannot become anything but generally uh, blood-borne uh, cells. And so um, the, uh, the cord blood has been utilized as a um, as alternative for bone marrow transplantation when you cannot uh, find an appropriate bone marrow transplant donor. These stem cells, these treatments have been around for decades. The problem when, when in the field of regenerative medicine, when we talk about adult stem cells, we're often referring to a different type of stem cell therapy. We're talking about stem cells that are derived, different types of stem cells that are derived from other types of tissues that are taken out, purified, grown up in large numbers, and then given to patients with certain types of disease, whether it's multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, spinal cord injuries, so forth. Those studies to date have shown that they're safe, but they have not been shown to be uniformly efficacious. So there has been a lot of research done, but there's more research needs to be done to figure out how do you make these adult stems more effective. And that's where places like our institute and others are working to find those solutions. Dr. Moy, one of the things that I think this is bringing up um, is people want easy solutions, marketable solutions. They want miracle stories. Uh, they want it to be easy. Uh, one of the things that I'm always amazed at when getting to talk with actual scientists and doctors is the sort of uh, yeoman's work, the, the sort of like getting your hands dirty in the garden of really taking the time to do the research it takes to prove these things, to fix them, to get them, you know, to set up the future where they might be, like you said, more efficacious. Um Part of this seems to me that when we talk about the education that needs to happen, it's not just like specifically what is a stem cell. Part of this reaches back to the great Catholic tradition about, um, you know, why science took off in the Catholic world, right? Because God made the world and we believed it could be studied and that studying it was a sort of uh, praise of our creator. Do you think that's something standing in the way as people, uh, if they don't hear that, like, if they give their money, there will be you know, within a year, some sort of solution, uh, they're, they're maybe scared of the sort of hard, long work that it actually takes to do the research necessary. Uh, that might be part of the reason. I think that, um, that you know, medical research tends to be long. It tends to be uh, hard. There, it becomes, it's also very unpredictable. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. And it's all about persistence. And, um, it's it, uh, biology is not as straightforward and as computer science or other types of science, scientific disciplines 
um, uh, medicine, biology um, is written by a different set of rules and unpredictabilities. And so you learn a lot along the way, and most research successes um, take a long time. And so you have to have a patience, and also the people who donate money have to realize that, you know, it may not necessarily um, help them directly because science takes a long period of time. So they do have to have some um, sense of altruism that that their their efforts in the uh, in the now in the in the present uh, can help people in the future. And those future people could be their child, or could be their grandchild. And so they have to also look take a long term view. I think um, what has happened within the Catholic. Uh, um, um, Catholic education uh, system is that um, there has been um, a lack of uh, emphasis within Catholic universities and colleges uh, in focusing on biotechnology. So historically, Catholic uh, medical centers have really focused on, or Catholic colleges, in fact, have focused on a liberal art education. They have focused on um, the vocation of healthcare, how to how to educate and train doctors and nurses and pharmacists, etc. In contrast, the secular universities uh, have spent a lot of emphasis on biotechnology and exploiting the government funding from uh, places like the National Institute of Health. So there has been a very difference in priorities between secular education and Catholic education. And that is a major reason why we're in the state we are in, is that we don't, we have not historically had a lot of pro-life or Catholic biotechnology alternatives that we could offer to patients. And so if you actually look at the, the top 100 uh, funded uh, NIH universities, um, not one Catholic university falls in that top 100. And that basically typifies the, the problems and the trends that we're dealing with and the problems that we're having with secularism. Dr. Moy, that's a, a fantastic point. We're going to go take our break right now, and when we get back, uh, we'll dive into that more deeply. So this is The Uncommon Good. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be back to speak more with Dr. Moy. Friends, if you want to keep the conversation going, it's easy to do. Go to Facebook, Iowa Catholic Radio, our Twitter handle, at IA Catholic Radio. Uh, like we said, you can talk to us on the Zip Whip line, 515-223-1150. If you want to keep up uh, through the week, we have our, or excuse me, through the month, we have Intune bi-weekly e-newsletter, sent by email every other Wednesday, complete, easy-to-navigate source for station headlines, event registration, program highlights, and more. Only two emails per month, so we make sure not to bombard your inbox. Uh, but like I said, uh, if you want to keep up talking about this, you want to give us suggestions, uh, Make sure to go on over and visit our social media and our social media presence. Again, Facebook, Iowa Catholic Radio, Twitter handle, at IA Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and also our Iowa Catholic Radio app. We'll be back after this break.
Thank you, Construction Professionals, for your support of Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Construction Professionals is a family-owned business dedicated to our customers. Whether designing, building, or renovating, we are here to better serve you. cpcustomhomes.com St. Vincent de Paul's assists those living in poverty to become self-sufficient. Learn more at svdpsm.org or call 515-282-8327. This message brought to you by Homemakers Furniture. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts, 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400, and online at cartridgeworld.com. Hey, friends, John Lee here, and I want to thank r r Realty Group for underwriting my show and for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. r r Realty Group is locally owned by a Catholic family. Built on trust, exceptional customer service, rrrealty.com. That's rrrealty.com. This is Bo Bonner from The Uncommon Good. Bud and I want to thank Mercy College of Health Sciences for continuing to underwrite our show. The Catholic College of Downtown Des Moines, the programs they offer are a gateway into mercy, service, and a sustainable career. There are endless possibilities available online at mchs.edu. The Catholic Tuition Organization provides tuition assistance to qualified families so they can send their kids to our Catholic schools. Great tax benefits for donors and great education for our kids. Online, ctoiowa.org. Back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. We're speaking today with Dr. Alan Moy. Uh, like I said, all, uh, not too far away, just over here in Iowa, talking about uh, biomedical issues, uh, the John Paul II Institute that he that he runs and founded, and uh, just the whole way of how are we going to do a better job of getting the word out about what all uh, Catholic, uh, the, the ca- uh, let me say, technologies in line with Catholic teaching uh, can provide. Dr. Moy, when we left off, uh, you were talking some, uh, a bit about um, the difference between how secular medicine and education and, and medicine has uh, sort of set the field off balance, as we should say. What are some practical ways you think that we can make some first steps towards um, leveling the playing field in that regard? Sure. Well, I think that um, I think that the the Catholic community uh, needs. To uh, recognize that our prior strategy of reacting to secular biotechnology of condemning it or uh, opposing it rhetorically um, is is a failed strategy. Uh, whenever embryonic stem cells have arrived or any some types of secular biotechnology that has conflicted with Catholicism. Um, the typical response is, is to oppose it and, and, and react to it. And I think that historically that strategy has always failed. So what, ha- what has worked? I think what has worked is, is looking at historically what has worked among the Catholics. And there are some two really great examples of that, um, one of which is 
100 years ago, over a century ago, our Catholic hospital healthcare system was created by the Sisters of Mercy and the Franciscan Orders. And so without their efforts, they would never have, we would not have a Catholic hospital system that we enjoy today. Um, also, um, when uh, the birth control and uh, in vitro fertilization uh, evolved, uh, came to the forefront in medicine, uh, the people like Dr. Tom Hilgers, who founded the uh, Pope Paul VI Institute, developed uh, ways to, pro-life ways, to combat IVF and birth control and uh, infertility and um, birth control. And so these methods, through actually taking on these issues, both scientifically uh, and in, 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 a, in a very direct way, have shown uh, to be the right solutions. And so I think what we need to have is a, a Catholic uh, presence where we can sit at the table within government, within academia, and within the pharmaceutical industry and provide these technologies. So I think we need to have a Catholic uh, form of biotechnology and pharmaceutical uh, development. We have to have Catholic-run research organizations. And so I think that is uh, foremost important and in order to achieve that, I think everyone needs to recognize we're in that same boat. Because if we have an unopposed secular healthcare system, a secular biotechnology industry, that's going to threaten our Catholic hospitals, our Catholic healthcare workers, our patients, and those who are going to pursue careers in biotechnology. You know, that what you were just saying there, Dr. Moy, sets a real challenge for Catholic institutions, and I think medical professionals as well. For some of our listeners who are committed Catholics and they, they're um, dedicated to upholding church te- teaching and witnessing to these matters as best they can, I, I think that one thing that's tough, and Bo and I even sense this in the classroom, is that when you talk about something like um, embryonic stem cell research, for many non-Catholics and even maybe some Catholics who haven't completely thought through the issue, the embryo seems so tiny, like it's almost, it, it's that kind of phrase like out of sight, out of mind, because it's kind of like underdeveloped. It just, I, I think for those who are skeptical of church teaching, this idea like my grandmother uh, has been diagnosed with this disease and we could, we could cure it maybe through this kind of research, it can be kind of a tough sell. Do you have, do you have ideas about kind of reaching out to those who might, um, be skeptical or uninformed? How have you approached those things in your personal relationships? So I would say the way to address this is, is there a solution, a scientific solution, to to make embryonic stem cells scientific obsolete and offer something that's better, cheaper, and has less clinical risk? Okay, so that's the way, and that, that's the argument uh, to make. And so what our institute um, uh, started over about seven years ago was to 
tackle the argument among the secular community that embryonic stem cells are superior to adult stem cells because embryonic stem cells can do everything, uh, they can become everything, whereas adult stems have had limited ability to program into specific types of cells. And so what we did is uh, come up with a technology that is superior, we think, to an embryonic stem cell. And so what happened was uh, in 1998, the embryonic stem cell came on the horizon. It was first introduced and published. But in 2007, a, a Japanese scientist who later won the Nobel Prize, he developed a, um, a, a embryonic-like stem cell without using an embryo. So he called it the induced pluripotent stem cell, which I mentioned earlier in my talk. So the, in, the iPS cell is... Uh, created by genetically altering an adult cell from a patient without having to use an embryo or a fetus. It's coming from a, specifically from a patient, and you genetically modify it by using uh, a handful of genes to, confer, to con convert it into this iPS cell, at which point it becomes everything that an embryonic stem cell can do. It also forms tumors when you, like an embryonic stem cell, when you inject this and put this into a, an animal. And that is the, the clinical risk and the safety risk associated with whether it's an iPS cell or an embryonic stem cell. So what we did was um, we said, can we make a, a iPS cell or embryonic stem cell that has lower risk of causing tumors than anything that has come before. And so what we did is we expanded on the work of this Japanese Nobel uh, laureate. And what he showed was that, that there are certain cancer genes that are used in the process that, that, are, that are used to make these iPS cells. And so he found that if you can eliminate the cancer genes, um, he could produce a, 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 a iPS cell without causing a tumor. The problem was that in order to carry out this reaction, he had to use a virus to infect these, these cells that carried all these genes. And so we can't obviously use viruses in our therapies because the infectious risk. So what we were able to publish last year and this is after seven years of hard work and thousands and thousands of experiments, we were able to show that we can produce these iPS cells without viruses and without cancer genes. So this is a landmark um, a milestone in regenerative medicine. We now have the ability to provide a solution to those naysayers that say, you know, I need an embryonic stem cell to cure. Well, you know, you don't need an embryonic stem cell to cure. We have a cell line that can do everything an embryonic stem cell can do, and it has less risk, clinical risk. It has less cancer risk, and it's cheaper to manufacture than an embryonic stem cell. 
Dr. Moy, so if people are hearing this, and I mean, the, the sort of, again, like uh, I'm always impressed by how hard it is to actually do the work of scientific uh, investigation and experimentation. And I think people miss that all the time. I, I blame movies, it, Marvel movies. They just push buttons and things happen. So I understand uh, the, the hard work, and I think it's impressive to, to hear that, that uh, something that was uh, just on the horizon a mere seven years ago, um, how d- far down the line you have been able to, to take this. I guess my question uh, in the sort of light of our show um, I still, you know, the, the the sort of worst sort of skeptic can hear this and go like, well, uh, you know, are you guys just basically a sort of biomedical business and that's it, right? So like, all that's going to happen is different people are going to compete uh, for different biomedical technologies, and this one's a secular flavor, this is a Catholic flavor. It's just a matter of marketing. What difference does it make to say that when Catholics do things like you're doing, the experiments you're doing, that they have the common good in mind? that there's a way in which the medical profession and things like this deep research that's very technical, even it had a connection to this large overarching concern for not only individuals, uh, but for society itself in common. So I think it's important that there has to be a Catholic influence on the ethics, not just from the standpoint of, you know, how we, what types of cells or what type, whether, whether we use an embryonic stem cell or a, an aborted fetal, fetus in medical research. But without uh, a Catholic influence, um, we won't have um, a Catholic identity in the decisions by which government or the pharmaceutical industry can be um, uh, constrained by how they deal with the public and the consumer. Um, For example, um, if currently some of our specialty drugs that the pharmaceutical industry is creating, you know, are now costing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so it's now not just becoming an ethical issue, who gets access to those drugs? And that's going to you know, put um, a lot of uh, society uh, pressure on who um, should have a treatment and who should who should not be receive treatment based on the cost of these drugs. And if we don't have Catholics um, involved in this space, and we don't have a um, a moral center on what is the Catholic identity to help the poor, to identify people as um, has dignity regardless of what society views their sense of worth, we won't have to be able to uh, influence the way healthcare is delivered. Dr. Moy, I mean, listening to you talk, just some fascinating things um, in, in the scientific realm, in the realm of medical research. It also seems to me that all of this conversation gets back to very fundamental theological topics, so, like, um, our understanding of, of death and the process of dying, you know, some of what we've talked about have e- has even reminded me of in the, the very beginning of human history, this desire to exceed, like, the limits that have been placed around us and this search for, you know, like a, a kind of forbidden fruit that would extend life beyond the, the bounds that God sort of placed around us. And it, it seems like as Catholics, we not only have to be thinking through 
like the the scientific understanding of things, um, but also like how this all connects to our theological commitments. Um, does does the center where you work, you guys probably deal some with with those matters as well? So we occasionally get um, people asking us ethical issues. Um, yep. People ask us um, uh, things like, uh, "I'm a I'm a Catholic." Uh, students work in a lab, and um, we're working, our lab is working with this particular cell line, you know, how do I confront this, how when I deal with this, because I'm worried that I might lose my job, or I might lose mm-hmm. my degree, or I might not be advanced. Uh, so we get, you know, a fair amount of those types of issues that uh, come t- to our attention. Um, you know, we get... Uh, a variety of different uh, uh, issues, ethical issues of, you know, how do you deal with, how we're going to deal with the cost of health care, how we're going to deal with the cost of uh, taking care of patients. Um, uh, we cannot afford, you know, some of these high costs of uh, medicines, and the cost of health care is going up increasingly all the time, and it's making some um, very... Uh, challenging uh, moral and economic uh, problems for uh, society, and I think that you know you you have to um, find ways in which um, to both balance uh, the moral issues, what you need to achieve for patients, and also um, is there ways in which you can lower the cost of healthcare and provide better quality. At the same time, uh, adding innovation, scientific innovation. And I do think it's very possible that you can achieve that goal. Well, Dr. Moy, it's been fantastic speaking with you. If people are uh, more interested in this, not only information about um, your institute, but, you know, some of these issues, we've really, you know, sprung the uh, the, the sort of first initial uh, ideas about it. Where can they go to learn more about you and more about these very pressing bioethical issues uh, in Catholic uh, biomedical ethics? Well, the, people can go to our website um, and learn more about um, what we do, who we are, um, what we stand for, and uh, what, uh, and there's a lot of educational information and there's research information about our activities. Our website is uh, www.jp2mri.org, and that's with the number two, jp2mri.org. Well, thank you very much. Like I said, this has been Dr. Alan Moy, founder and scientific director of John Paul II Medical Research Institute, uh, like I said, here in Iowa. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show talking about these important issues. God bless you and your work, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Thanks Moy. for having me. Yep. Well, bud, uh, it's become that uh, time again uh, where we're getting to the end of our show. Uh, you know, I, I hear uh, things about this, um, and it makes me always laugh that I work at Health Science College because I could not lead anyone through the difficult biology like Dr. Moy was just doing. Um, But I think we can start to understand, uh, even if like we're not the most, uh, what would I say, uh, science tech savvy, we can hear in that discussion these fundamental questions that it's not just enough to respond to the world when we think something's gone awry. Um, are we going to, so to speak, put our money where our mouth is and try to come up with solutions to counter 
um, what the world uh, has to offer. Yeah, one point that Dr. Moy made that really stood out to me is that the Catholic Church in various points in history has been at the forefront of a lot of different endeavors, whether that's education, scientific exploration, and, um, and now today the challenge faces us with bioethics. And what's What's very cool about our history is, like, our Lord gave us this task to go and preach to all nations. And for Catholics, that's always been embodied, where things like education or medicine haven't been seen as something tangential, but as integral to that task. And so, I don't know, about just teaching at Mercy College, like, students, young people are asking questions about these matters. And I, I just don't want to leave a vacuum, you know, where... Um, the kind of wisdom of our tradition is not applied to these questions. So it's great to hear of places like the John Paul II uh, Research Institute where that's being done. I think that, you know, there's one hand in which I, I always will, um, quote-unquote, give us the benefit of the doubt as uh, w- one of our stereotypes, right, that the Catholic Church moves slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's good that we don't jump on every bandwagon. Um, but then there is that time uh, in God's good providence where it's like, okay, now it's time for us to step up and do something like he like uh, dr moy was saying positive to give our response and so even though we don't necessarily need to follow every single little trend in bioethics many of them sort of burn themselves out in fact i would say the long history of abuses in medical research is people pursuing um, things that would never come to fruition but it makes sense with what he's talking about we figured out the power of the cell as it were and uh so it makes sense to say if catholics want to have an alternative that uh, respects the dignity of human life from its very beginnings, um, we have some work to do. So I'm glad we got to speak with him. Well, with my last question about theological foundations, I had in mind, you know, as Catholics, we are about the process of healing. I think whatever we do technologically or in the medical field, we have to always be um, lining that up against our core convictions, where for us it's not a matter of just extending life for as long as possible. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, if we, if we could somehow engineer the possibility of people to live to 150 years, I'd, I doubt that would be a good thing, and it would probably only exacerbate the, the divide that exists between the haves and the haves and have-nots. But we are about the process of healing, so as, insofar as we can do that in a way that respects the dignity of each life, that's certainly a worthy cause. Well, I think the only reason you would ever talk about that is for our friends here in the studio and John Leonetti that they might live long enough to see another Cubs World Series. Well, you and I have joked about, like, with those sorts of things, we'd probably use it for the completely wrong purpose. Like, now I can eat burritos for another four decades. That's right. (laughs) So, yeah, probably not worth it for us. Or a Cubs World Series. That's right. (laughs) Well, this has been The Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, in our city, our state, the nation, the entire world. This is The Uncommon Good. We will see you next Wednesday. For all of you who are in Iowa, we have so much going on. Iowa Catholic Radio events. Uh, I mean, they have stuff listed on this page, but until 2019, it's a uh, uh, you know we we got stuff for people to do um, all the way the Iowa State Fair booth. You know, uh, Christ Our Life conference coming up in September. Um, what I think we should note today on the show is uh, April 12th Thursday we have Ladies Mosaic Luncheon. Uh, on May 8th, uh, we it's a Tuesday we have a Man Up event. May 12th, uh, on a Saturday, we have Mary's Meal 5K, 10K walk run. You're going to come back to do that, bud? I need to. I'm not. Rachel would be really happy if I made that a priority on my calendar. No, I'm always struck, by when you run through those things, just like how many opportunities are available in a diocese like Des Moines to deepen your faith. 
So it's pretty cool to hear all that. Yeah, and also Catholic Culture Lecture Series coming back up April 28th. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Kemp uh, talking about the Catholic Church and evolution. But uh, if people can't make it out of the house, what some things that we do every day here on uh, at the station uh, that they can be a part of our life? I would encourage our listeners to start each day, uh, maybe uh, if they're an early riser, 5 a.m. doing Bible in a year, and then you can transition right into the rosary and the Angelus. The rosary is also played before our show at 9.30 a.m., so a lot of opportunities to grow in your prayer life. And our ministry is not only the people speaking here. It's not only uh, Deacon Tony and Jeb, even though they do belong on a T-shirt. The ministry in many ways is carried by you, our listeners, and people who are willing to donate. So if you feel called to be a part of our ministry, please know uh, that uh, we are always accepting your donations so that we can continue this good work, the message of Jesus Christ, on 24-7 that can go through walls and can be heard at any time. Bud, uh, thanks for being on the show. I hope that eventually winter might end and that uh, your french fries may be sunny and cool in like uh, uh, spring should be. I'm beginning to have my doubts about winter ending, but um, yeah, thanks for another great show. Just a lot of fun. So um, I'll see our listeners next week or engage with them on the radio. There you go. God bless. We'll see you next week. This is The Uncommon Good. Have a wonderful week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcasts. Just search for The Uncommon Good.